This is Tom Dunn with the Stocking Group representing Compass Vale, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Real Talk. Thank you always for listening. I am always appreciative of your loyal, uh, of all the loyal subscribers that we've had over the course of uh, a year and change. I really got into podcasting during the pandemic. It, was, it actually was going on before the pandemic, but we really got into a deep dive. And as many of my followers already know, we've gone through and interviewed people on my show within the Compass family from Boston, Washington, D.C., Newport Beach, Los Angeles, Denver, Colorado, and so forth. And today, I'm proud to share with you uh, one of our newest team members in the Compass family, Tom Dunn, representing Vail, Colorado. Compass uh, and Vail merged about a month ago, and we're, we're recording this uh, today is the 8th of April. Fast track to today, well, fast track of a few weeks, I, I'm here in Vail to actually meet Tom in person. Uh, welcome to the welcome him to the Compass family, and uh, he's also been uh, showing him around, showing me around uh, around the mountains. So it's been a, it's been a great time. Just to give you a quick intro about Tom, Tom hailing from Galveston, Texas. He Tom moved to the Vale Valley back in June of 1994 to pursue his love of mountain biking and skiing while working within the hospitality industry. Fast track to today, Tom's been selling luxury properties across the Vale Valley since 2000, exceeding 500 million dollars worth of sales. Specialized in luxury properties in Vale, Beaver Creek, and Lionshead, his excellent reputation has earned through the years of smart business negotiation that helps his clients achieve their real estate goals in a manner that is both rewarding and enjoyable. With success in every part of the Vale real estate market, as well as the complex field of property management and vacation rentals, Tom brings a plethora of Vale real estate experience to the table. Please follow him on Instagram at td in Vail, that's T is in Tom, D is in Done, in Vail, as well as his group at the Stockton Group underscore Vail. Again, that's at the Stockton Group underscore Vail on Instagram. When Tom is not busy working on his clients' real estate deals, he can be found biking around the network of trails throughout the Vail Valley or my favorite, snowboarding on Vail Mountain. So, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate your time, man, and thanks for taking time to come on the episode, the first Vail episode, hopefully first of, you know, many. We'll see. To our listeners, just to give those that are maybe not frequenters of Vail or maybe not frequenters of this, the sport of skiing, snowboarding, or mountain biking, or cycling, let's give them a little introduction to the market and, you know, maybe some of your knowledge, your veteran knowledge. So uh, here are a couple questions. Maybe you can answer them in a couple sentences. So for starters, if you're a visitor... What's for dinner in Vail? Well, you would know. It's called matzo pizza. <laughs> okay. And, and what's, what's, the, what's the details on that? Details. Um, well, there, there are a few around the, uh, around the country. So if you've had the pleasure of visiting one, you know. Yes, sir. Um, I, I have to say ours is probably the best in the Vail Village. Great space. Awesome food. The service is amazing. And the patented drink, the Gardner. Gardner. Which, which, which if you know, you know. Okay. If you don't, 
Okay. So yes, that's the must. All right. What's your favorite mountain to ride in? So I guess to break it down for listeners, Vail is off Highway 70. And on 70, there are probably a half a dozen or more ski resorts. Uh, you have, you know, coming in from Denver, you pass Loveland Pass, you, you pass Arapahoe Basin, pass Copper, and then Breckenridge, and then Vail is next, and then after that you see Beaver Creek. Uh, you see another private mountain, I guess, right after Beaver Creek. There's another one there, and then, yeah. and then uh, you are on your way onto another part of Colorado. So, you know, for, for you as a veteran, what is your favorite mountain to ride in? Well, so we call it the, the I-70 corridor, and as you said, as you're coming up from Denver, you've got all these different ski resorts in Summit County. Um, my personal favorite is Beaver Creek, and Vail Valley is made up of uh, Vail Mountain and the resort of Beaver Creek. Beaver Creek is actually three smaller mountains, Beaver Creek, Bastard Gulch, and Arrowhead. When I moved to the Vail Valley, I uh, initially started working in Beaver Creek, and as I say, when you move here, you kind of grow up in a, in a you know, skiing a mountain. Yeah. And because I worked in Beaver Creek, I, that's where I taught myself how to, well, I was a skier when I moved here, and mm -hmm. I taught myself how to snowboard. And so that's, that's kind of my home base. So what's the major difference between the two mountains? Oh, that's a great question. Well, Vail is about four times as large as Beaver Creek. Oh, is it? Okay. So it's, it's more spread out, great terrain. Beaver Creek's a little bit more compact, and you can get where you need to go quicker. Uh -huh. Meaning, uh, you know, Vail, you go up and you kind of have to spread out. Beaver Creek, you go up and you're, you're dropping lines, you know, right off the top. For a first-time visitor, would you recommend one over the other? Um, kind of really depends on what you're looking for. They're both great mountains. Yeah. Um, Beaver Creek, first time. If you're if you're not uh, necessarily a mountain person or uh, versed in navigating a mountain, it's it's real easy to, to find your way around and not get lost at Beaver Creek. Sure. Vail can be a little bit overwhelming because it is big. So I mean, again, I'm preferring have a preference to Beaver Creek, so, sure. but they're both great mountains. Okay. Uh, give me, next question, give me one, one secret tip that locals don't always give to visitors. Um, well, well, there's all kinds of private little stashes. You know, uh -huh. When it snows, it's, you know, a, a local might steer some visitors away. <laughs> okay. From, from, from their snow stashes. Okay. So I would tell you if you're, if you like powder, mm -hmm. right, Beaver Creek, World of Lake. That's the spot. Say that again? Beaver Creek, Royal Elk Lake. R Royal Oak Lake? Royal, Royal Elk Oh, Lake. Royal Elk Lake. Okay, that's the run. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Free run. Uh -huh. um, it's accessed by a high-speed quad. You can go there and just lap it for like two hours and blow yourself out. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's great. And it holds snow. It's, it's a, that's the spot. Royal Elk Glade. Glade, okay. Glade. Yep, that's My, my buddy, uh, Jared Kleinstein, who was on the very uh, most recent episode, who's also a frequenter of Beaver Creek, he actually runs a, uh, a startup in Denver, oh, wow. but his family grew up in Beaver Creek as well. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to appreciate that tip to be given out to the public, but no, I, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, some, of, some of us that are frequent skiers or snowboarders would appreciate that tip. The other one is when to visit, because people always say when's the best. Oh yeah, true, yeah. It's not New Year's, huh? What's that? <laughs> not New Year's. No, no it's right, it's <laughs> January. It's yeah. like right after the holidays, it's like mid-January, that's the best time to visit. It's not busy, the snow is usually good. Um, things aren't as crazy, aren't as expensive. Sure. Uh, it's, that's the best time of the year. Sure. Favorite bar in Bale? Favorite, uh, 
favorite bar and bill. I'm gonna have to go with Matsu. Matsu again. Wow, you're a you're a loyal customer. I, I'm I'm loyal. This right pod now, is not sponsored by Matsu. No, it's not. For some reason, but not it's yet. okay. Keep not going. Yet, anyway. <laughs> the, uh, well, right now the bar is shut down. Sure. As you know, because mm-hmm. we were there. But when you know pre-COVID and hopefully soon, it's it's the spot. Okay. It's, yeah. it's the spot. It's just nice and lively and. And it's located in this area called the Solaris. So yeah. can you kind of explain to, to uh, listeners what that is? Yeah, so Solaris is uh, kind of Maine and Maine in, uh, in the Vail Village. So a handful of years ago in the early 2000s, a uh, local developer bought a cluster of older buildings and basically tore it down and built this great um, kind of core ice skating rink, luxury condos, nice commercial arena, um, which is kind of now the, you know, the hotspot for Vail. Right. Uh, I, I'm usually there when it's the U.S. Burton U.S. Open, yeah. and they have yeah. that the sound stage there, yeah. and they have the shows yeah. every night. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be like the almost like the the main gathering area yeah. for Vail, right? Main and main now is what we call it. Main, main and main. main now, can you tell me is that complex? Is that a hotel? Is that a condo? Who who's well, above ground? Who's above the those restaurants? Um, no hotels. It's all privately owned condos. Condos. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And visitors that visit could rent and stay yes. there and yep. kind of experience the main the main area of Vail. Absolutely. Okay. You can absolutely rent there. Uh, if you need help, give me a shout. We'll, yeah. we'll do. Uh, favorite event in Vail? I mean, Vail, just kind of like Aspen. You know, Aspen has the food and wine and Aspen jazz, and they have all these events that are consumed by people throughout the United States. So, so tell me about you know the events in Vail and what's your favorite. Well, there's a lot to choose from. You've, you've kind of already hit on one there, Burton U.S. Open. Yes, Burton U.S. Open. That's my favorite. It's my favorite. Yeah. Um, and then from there, coming out of spring into the summer, we have the GoPro Games, which kind of launches the official start of the summer. Um, kind of a, you know, not a not an X Games, more of a kind of mountain sports type of uh, event. Lots of local athletes, good vibe. Um, that's probably my second favorite behind oh. the Burton U.S. Open. Okay, great. And then there's some other events, right, that are held throughout the year. I think the famous one was the GoPro event. Or? Yeah, yeah, that was it. Yeah, that, yeah. Oh, that's the one that you were just talking yeah, about. The GoPro games. Um, we've got the Vail Summer uh, Sunday Farmer's Market. Okay. Every Sunday throughout the summer, which is it's a huge hit. Okay. Lots of people coming to that. I mean, it's uh, on a Sunday, it can be like a powder day. You've got cars. You know, in the wintertime, you've got cars. Parked on down the front end. Frontage, Sunday, yeah. same thing. Uh, music. They have something at the Ford Amphitheater, right? Yeah. There's always events out there. Yep, there's always music there. Throughout the summer, they got the, what is it, the Hot Summer Night. So every Tuesday night, they got a free show at the Amphitheater. Mm-hmm. Which is nice, good local vibe. Okay. Um, great weather. Um, and then Taste of Vale, which okay. is a little bit later in the, in the summer, which is a good food venue. All the local restaurants come out into the streets and put up tents. And, uh-huh. Awesome. I think a lot of people, when they talk about Vail and Aspen and Telluride, a lot of people fail to realize is the spring and summertime is just as good, if not better, than the winter ski season. Isn't that correct? Right. Absolutely correct. And we actually have a saying in the real estate world, um, came here for the winter and stayed for the summer. <laughs> yes. 100%. And, and, I, and I can tell you, like, showing clients property and, you know, like, where you're from, have you been here have you ever been here in the summer? And the majority of people haven't been here in the summer. They haven't. No. And I, They've only skied here uh, yeah. on New Year's Eve or Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They come out and they ski with their family and they're wherever they are in the summertime. 
And I tell, I've told countless people over the years, like, you have to come in the summertime. And they're like, really? Like, what's there to do? And, you know, there's no snow on the ground, so what's it look like? I'm like, oh, my God. Yes, it's, it's God's country. Heavenly. It's God's country. Yeah. The events or the things or activities that an individual, whether it's just a, a single guy or girl or a family, I mean, what kind of things do people enjoy here in the summertime? Well, one, just the weather. Yeah. So, so I tell people, like, even if you don't do anything, just sitting out and hanging out, like you're, it's just so comfortable. And evening time, it gets cool. You want to put on a sweater and go to dinner or just hang out during the day and enjoy the sun. So really, the weather alone is the, whether or not you're into biking, kayaking, rock climbing, tennis, golf, um, hiking, jeeping. I mean, everything. Fishing, fishing, yeah, yeah, yeah. downhill fishing, mountain biking, tennis, yeah. cycling, yeah. Cycling, um, there's... It's endless. It's, it's There's really actually endless. more things to do than the winter. There really is. There really is. And so when people say, what's there to do in the winter? I'm like, well, the winter's great. But if you're not really, you know, a downhill type of skier person or really want to be out in the weather, you know. You're stuck in the house, maybe. Yeah, a little stuck. <laughs> but summertime, it's, and, and hey, even if your pastime is like eating and drinking, you just go sit on a deck and have a nice meal. Right. It's here. Yeah, it's all here. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. One of the best things uh, that I've realized is not a lot of air conditioning in the building units. The single family house that we're in asking, uh, was it $7 million? Yeah. $7 million. I'm sure this house has a full HVAC mm -hmm. system, mm -hmm. but I have noticed the majority of the properties that I have stayed in or leased in or hotels that I've frequented don't have AC units. And the reason, and, you know, people from out of town, they come and they get worried because there's no AC in any of these apartments or homes. You know, what, what do you tell them? <laughs> well, we have a lot of people coming here from the southern states. And even the, even the east coast where it can get muggy and hot. And, so humid. Yeah. And, and people, I, I, again, it's, people are really surprised. They just assume that there's AC. And, and especially from Texas. I'm from Texas, so I get it. And showing property, you know, somehow like, wait, there, there's AC here, right? I'm like, no. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean there's no AC? So yeah. How do you live? Yeah, yeah. I, and I, so it's, it's easy for me to relate because I say, look, I grew up in Galveston, Texas, where it's like 9,000% humid. And Galveston is by the water. Yeah, Galveston's by the water. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it's extremely warm and humid. And I said, look, I grew up there. This is nothing like that. Yeah, in southern states, you're running from AC to AC in the yeah. summertime. And it's like, it's not like that. I mean, yeah, are there days when it's warm? Sure, but you're not walking around sweating like in Galveston. Like you leave the house and it's like you need a shower like five minutes once you're outside. It's not like that. It's a dry heat. Uh huh. It's a dry heat. Dry heat, yeah. So and it cools off at night. So and it gets cold at night. It can get cool. Forties in the summertime. Yeah, right? it can get cool. It yeah. Get cool. So people, I can tell you, some people have just kind of looked at me with the side eye. <laughs> like, okay, I guess I'm just going to take your word for it. Yeah, but I know we've sold. I've sold millions and millions of dollars to real estate to people that took the leap that, okay, I guess we'll be okay with AC. But it typically is like, look, you can bolt on AC to anything. Sure. And you can add, you can retrofit it afterwards. Right. So just live in it. If I'm wrong, which I'm probably not going to be wrong because I've lived here 20 something. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be okay. But if you really feel like you need it, you can add it. You know, I think it's one of the more, most beautiful things. You're kind of in, in tune with the nature in the summertime and you're not really 
overspending or overconsuming on, on electric. I mean, most of it is from running your AC units. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think it is part of the beauty of living in Colorado is that having that aspect of being more in tune with uh, the, your surroundings and nature more than anything else. So that's one of the, I guess, one of the reasons why Colorado is one of the fastest growing states in America, population-wise. Yeah. So, so let's do a little pivot. I like okay. to kind of, I, I like to abuse that word pivot on our show. Okay. I, I want to know a little bit about you. You know, what were you like as a, as a kid, where you grew up, what were your in, in, interests? Maybe you had some influences within your life, within your family, friends, uh, maybe some coaches if you, if you played sports or mentors. I mean, tell me about your upbringing. Sure. Well, I'm adopted. Okay. Um, little known back there. I'm adopted. My parents adopted me at birth. Um, my dad was stationed in uh, the Navy just outside of Miami, and my mom worked at a hotel or a hospital at the time, and a woman was coming in from Columbia to give her baby up for adoption, and uh, my parents at the time decided that they wanted to adopt a child. So that was in 1970. Shortly after that, my dad was discharged from the Navy, and they went back to their hometown, Galveston, Texas, where I was. I wasn't born there, but but raised there, you know, all but the first couple months of my life. So Beachtown, if you're not familiar with it, Galveston, basically a big sandbar, okay. barrier island for the Gulf Coast. It's right in the Pacific. Oh, well, no, Gulf of Mexico. Oh, Gulf, Gulf sorry, yeah, Gulf okay, yeah. Probably most um, notable for the 1900 hurricane that hit it and was still the worst natural disaster in U.S. history. Mm-hmm. And was the Wall Street of the South the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. It was a big port town. Okay. So lots of history. Um, but childhood was pretty pretty mellow. Grew up surfing and skating. I was kind of that kind of quintessential kid, windsurfing, lots of water sports. Uh-huh. Um, uh, have a younger brother, it's been a year younger than me, that was uh, my biological uh, son and my parents. Okay. Um, but nothing too crazy. Just kind of hanging out, living the Texas lifestyle. And graduated high school, did fairly well in high school, and went to the University of Texas, um, was longing to get out of the small town of Galveston, which was about 40,000 people at the time. Small, right, okay. And was looking to kind of spread my wings a little bit. Um, Went to the University of Texas, um, was there at a great time in Austin, that was pre-tech boom. What did you study? Marketing. Marketing, okay. Were you always in kind of that that salesy business? You know, I I guess I've always kind of had a hustle about myself. Sure. Um, working at, I started working when I was 13. What, did, what kind of jobs did you do as a teen? Well, I worked in a, my, my first job was in a souvenir shop in Galveston on the seawall. Okay. That my dad got me. <laughs> so I rode my bike there every day and then rode home, got my surfboard and went surfing every day afterwards. That was kind of my little routine. Uh-huh. And then from there, I, I uh, oh, gosh, what did I do? I sat on the beach and sold umbrellas and rented umbrellas and chairs. Oh, all right, yeah. That's quintessential any teenager's job that yeah. he... So that was kind of my, that was kind of my deal um, growing up. And, but when I went to college, it, you know, business kind of seemed like the natural segue. Growing up in high school, I kind of felt like I always wanted to be um, in Wall Street. Yeah, okay. So you want to be... Broker, equity trader, or whatever at the time. Okay. And then I went to, got to college at the University of Texas in the business school. Um, I... I I realized that kind of that probably wasn't where I was headed. Um, being in the business school, and we kind of talked about this the other night, had a, a lots of lots of friends that were headed to like accounting firms. And yeah, they wanted to go the big five, yeah, yeah, stable yeah, jobs, yeah, salary, yeah, all that 
benefits. And, and I realized, I, I guess college was important for me because I, I learned what I didn't want to do, yeah. not necessarily what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But I saw these guys, you know, and I, I, quite frankly, I didn't have the grades right. to, to, to do any of that. I mean, I kind of majored in like, more like life. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, human studies. Yeah, human studies. Yeah. Than, than actual school. <laughs> um, but, but, but it taught me what, what, what I didn't want to do, which is I didn't want to be chained to a desk. I didn't really want to have somebody yelling at me what to do all the time. Right, right. So after college, I, I worked in Austin, had this, this sales job that was brutal, and had a, a high school buddy. Did you move back home after college? No, no, I stayed in Austin. Oh, worked okay. for, worked right. for a couple of years yeah. with, my, with my college roommate buddies in, in Austin down 6th Street, back when 6th Street was a thing. Right. Like a crowded share apartment, yeah, yeah, yeah low yeah. rent, and yeah, and we just you know kind of hung out and had a lot of bro time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, party and partied hard, worked hard. Yeah, pretty much, exactly. I can only imagine what Austin was like in the '90s. Must have been. Oh, it was great. It could have been mayhem. It was great. It was super fun. Not a lot of rules. No, not, not <laughs> a lot of rules. Still pretty mellow. Everything was pretty low key, but but we we had a great time. Uh huh. Good, good. But as I um, as I got out. Out of college and was working, I realized that working was kind of, I don't know, living in the city seemed a little overrated. And I had a good buddy that I went to high school with that went to CU, University of Colorado. College, yep. And all through college, I had come out to Colorado and instead of going to the beach for spring break, which is where everybody wanted to go when you're in college, yeah. I grew up at the beach. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. So I would come out here, sleep on his couch or on his floor and see you and me and my buddies would drive out to the resort. So do that I-70 corridor of Breckenridge and Vail and wherever. Uh, and we, so we would drive out every day uh -huh. week during spring break, skiing in jeans. Uh-huh, yeah. Scotch Garden jeans. Uh-huh. Total, <laughs> total like broke college style. Yeah. And we did that all through college. You come out here and say, I'm going to sleep on his floor and come out and ski. So when I started working in Austin, I'm like, oh, this, there's got to be more, you know, kind of having, I, I don't want to say midlife crisis, but like, what do you want to do? Yeah. And every 20s, every kid in his 20s will face that at one point right. in time, right? And in hindsight, it was the very best decision I could have ever made, even though at the time my, my parents thought I was completely, you know, lost my mind. But my buddy moved, when he graduated from Boulder, moved out to Vail. Yeah. And worked in a hotel. And... I got to this point where I, his name's Rob. I called Rob and said, hey, man, it's like, I think I'm just going to move out there. Yeah. He's like, come on. So, again, came out, moved in with him. He got me a job at a, at a hotel in Beaver Creek, slept on his floor. There you go. That was June of 1994. Uh-huh, June 1994. They were chasing OJ in the uh, Bronco. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So that's <laughs> when I moved here, and uh, we had the best summer. We had no money. I made, like, seven bucks an hour working out. <laughs> At the end of the summer, he ended up leaving. He went to Tahoe. Oh. To, to Squaw. Okay. And I'm like, I'm going to stay here, and the rest is history. So, you know, fast forward to kind of modern day times when you got into the, what, when you got into the real estate industry, you know, what, what actually, what was the entry point to that? Was it somebody that you met? Was it some job that you did? Was it you just wanting independence? A lot of people go, come into this industry for, for different reasons, right? right? And so what was yours? That's a great question. Um, well, at the time, I was in property management. Mm -hmm. so I, I was in hospitality, a concierge for a lot of years, and then segued into property management. And at the time, I had met my, um, I was married, you know, I was sure. married, but okay. at the time, I met my soon-to-be wife, 
and we started trying to figure out how we were going to make a family and, and live here long sure. term. Yeah. And in property management, you're exposed to, to real estate brokers all the time. And I realized that the property, like the sales part of property management, meeting the homeowner, yeah. going to take care of your home, let's figure out how this is going to look. That I really enjoyed that process and mm-hmm. I was good at it. Mm-hmm. So as I'm kind of looking at the landscape, okay, I'm going to stay in Vail. It's an expensive place to live. How am I going to support my family? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? I'm like, okay, well, this guy's doing okay. Yeah. I, I think I can probably at least do that. Yeah. And that's pretty much how I decided to take the leap. Uh, one day I was snowboarding and actually wrapped my knee around the tree. Oh, no. And I had to have surgery. Oh. So I was kind of down and out, so I took my real estate course. And back then you actually went to a class and they taught you and this was before... You know, the internet really. Right, so you, well, you couldn't walk, you couldn't do anything, you couldn't work. Yeah, so, so I, I studied for the exam. Yeah, so I studied for the exam, took the class, and just took the leap of faith and said, okay, I'm gonna sell houses. So I wouldn't say it was, it was probably more, um, I don't wanna say out of necessity, it wasn't like I was destitute. But sure, yeah, yeah. Just trying to plan for the future of my family. How yeah. Am I for my family? Absolutely. And it looked like fun. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, a lot of people think it, but they watch the TV shows oh these days. They, oh, that, that looks so fun. I'd well, love to so do that. It's easy. I can just get your license, drive a nice car, have oh, a nice watch. Open the door. Just, just start cashing checks. It's so easy. So yeah. Easy. Uh, when you first joined, did you have a mentor? Did you join the team? Did you just kind of wing it by yourself? I mean, how did this start for you? Super fortunate. Um, at the time, I was, I was with a large property management company here. And had done well with the property management side of it. And when I decided to go to get my real estate license, there was a small boutique firm in Beaver Creek. Okay. At the time, it was called the Forbes Group. Okay. Craig Forbes was the founder, local guy. No affiliate. Not related to the no, Forbes no, magazine. Just, just yeah. Just mm-hmm. last name. And I wanted to be in Beaver Creek because that's what I knew. Yeah. So a, a, a colleague of mine who was also in property management went into the business, similar track as me, went into the business like two years before me and we remained buddies. He's still a good friend of mine today in real estate. And I said, hey, I want to make the leap. He's like, oh, you should come join us. Oh, good. So I did and he gave me a job, gave me a seat in Beaver Creek and basically taught me the business. Tell me about your first deal. My first deal. Do you remember? Um, I do remember. It was actually a buddy of mine who was an, also a property manager. And um, he owned a little townhome in Edwards down the road, and he was getting married, and he wanted to buy a house, and he gave me a shot. Oh, good. He gave me a shot. Good. It was, I mean, the condo back then was maybe 300 grand, and the house he bought was maybe 500. <laughs> was like, like huge. Oh, really well, 500 grand in the 90s around here is so probably really yeah, expensive. Yeah, 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 I mean, probably in the higher end yeah. of the market. It was on the higher end of the market for sure. Yeah. And then that was my first deal, and we got through that, and Craig Forbes, who brought me into the business, he was a luxury broker and established himself. So pretty, pretty soon into my career, I got exposed to deals that I really had no, no business being exposed to. Mm-hmm. And then leveraging my property management contacts before into sales. Sure. So I had these relationships on the property with the owners too, yep, yep, already, owners. you know in, them. In, in luxury properties in, in Bastia Gulch. And a couple of those guys took chances on me and said, oh, and these were big numbers, you know, right. three, four, five million dollar houses. Right. That at the time, um, again, I had no real business doing, but they were like, they liked me and they knew how I was in property management and they gave me the opportunity to sell their houses and help them buy houses. So within a year to two years of being in the business, I was all of a sudden like kind of on the map with doing larger transactions. It's almost like you were by accident 
placed into real estate to, to be successful by default because you had so much property management experience in the yeah. past. Yeah. You already had that base building block. Yeah. It's different than somebody moving in from Juilliard and deciding music is not their career and jumping into real estate. You kind of already had that foundation for you. It, it worked really well and I was able to leverage it. Um, you know, I kind of say real estate found me. Yeah. I didn't necessarily find it. Mm -hmm. But it, it is, looking back on it now, 20 plus years, it was it was a real blessing, super fortunate, and and I, I, I still thank my clients that gave me a chance back then that are still clients of mine now for, for giving me the opportunity. It looks like you have no regrets. I have zero regrets. <laughs> and I'll tell you, when I sat down with my mom and dad and said, hey, I'm gonna move to Vail, and I don't have a plan, and yeah. loaded up my uh, you know, little 98 red Honda Civic, <laughs> 1989, Red oh, Honda Civic. All right. Yeah, probably Dippy Tomato. Okay. <laughs> Loaded it up with my skis and my bike on the back. And I don't even know these days. You, you, yeah, there's a will, there's a way, right? And moved up here without a plan. And, um, you know, now all these years later, it, it was the best decision. I mean, I guess one of the questions I wanted to ask you now, you kind of answered is like, if you were to give advice in your 20s right now, you know, personally and professionally, what would you tell yourself? I mean, I, I, I would tell myself to, well, one, never take yourself too seriously. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think that's kind of always a big one. And two, there are no limits. There are no limits. Right. And, and I didn't really know what I was doing at the time. I mean, in, you know, in, in the real estate world, you eat what you kill. Yeah. hundred percent. Right? That can be good and that can be bad. hundred percent. When it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's bad. It's terrible. It's, it's rock bottom. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, you know, what would I tell myself then that it's all up to you? Not, not all up to me, meaning I mean, there's other factors, but if you make a decision um, to do something, you can do it. You know, stay committed to it. And I tell, don't half-ass it. Yeah. Yeah, don't half-ass it and stay in it. You know, this, this business can, can chew you up and spit you out, and it does it to people every day. And What's the hardest part of the business right now for you? For, for, for you in the twenties versus you now, um, I think I think it's just balance. It's in the twenties, you had no life, probably. No, I didn't have life. I mean, I was running around seven running days a around, week. I was starting a family, but then then you would chase every deal. Or at least I did. You chase every deal, and I've learned to, you know, obviously uh, we we don't chase every deal anymore. But um, but the, I, I think now it's just balance. You know, now that you're. Uh, you got more clients. You've got more opportunity. You have more. You have more kids. Yeah, I got more kids. I got older kids now. Um, it's just. It's still trying to kind of find that balance. It's still always a. It's always a. It's always a. Right. That's tough. That's tough. Uh, what's your motivating factor for you right now? Is it? Is it time? Is it power? Is it money? Is it influence? Is it flexibility? You know what? What's your main motivation these days? My main motivation has kind of always been my kids. For sure. Right? Taking yeah. care of them and making sure that, um, you know, they're taken care of as far as... Make sure that they're applied to school yeah, and, they're, yeah, they're, and yeah, they're, so they're applied to life. and Yeah, applied to life and that I'm, I'm being a good father to them and, and steward them well and obviously providing for them. The, um, right now, where I'm at is, you know, trying to find a balance. I recently got a new assistant, Danielle, who you met, who's amazing. Danielle, wave. You're in the back. We see you. She, she's been great kind of pointing me in the right direction right now my main I think my main focus is my daughter's about ready to go to school she's a senior and 
figuring out what that next phase of life looks for her. And, um, you know, now that I'm going to be an empty nester soon, kind of focusing back on me and, and um, what makes me tick, you know, sure. staying healthy, staying fit, enjoying the mountain lifestyle. And making sure that you have a no, nice, long, healthy life, life ahead of you for yeah. 50, 50 plus years. Yeah, for like 50 <laughs> years. Yeah. So, um, here you go. Yeah, I would say as my kids are starting to leave the house now, I'd say the, the focus is going to, um, you know, what I'm looking forward to is kind of focusing on me again. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's been a long time since that's been a primary focus. Sure. Um, I mean, I guess when you look back towards the end of your career, you'll want to see obviously the accomplishments, the sales volume, and the rankings, and uh, you joining Compass and yeah. going IPO and doing things like that. I mean, those are all great things, but, but, you know, I guess your ultimate motivation is, is to make sure that your family and your kids are seen after. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, it, it's over the years, as you get success and, um, you know, you're in that kind of competitive environment, then the numbers game becomes more important, you know, like ranking and volume, as you said, but honestly, it's never been, it's never been anything that I'm, Focused on entirely. I've never been focused on it. Right. I've been absolutely blessed to be able to sell houses that nobody needs. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's the second homes mostly. It's, it's mostly wants. Yeah. Right. And dealing with people that have the capacity to do mostly whatever they want. Right? Sure. So I never take that for granted, and it's uh, it's successes and numbers and volume and production have always just been a byproduct of, of wanting to do a good job and wanting to work hard, which is what I tell my kids. You know, you don't have to know what you want to do in life necessarily right now, which there's always a lot of pressure to, you know, when you go to college, what are you going to study? What are you going to do? Just, just do a good job, you know, make good decisions and, um, treat people fairly and the rest will follow. And that, and that's kind of the way my life has worked out as far as my career. It wasn't like I wanted to be number one this, or I wanted to sell 50 million this, or that. It just, it just kind of happened because I really enjoyed what I do, and I still love what I do. That's important. That's most important, right? Yeah. Yeah, when, you're, when your work is fun, then life is fun. You know, Repkin, refer to Repkin, Rob, uh, he, he says this all the time, you know, just work hard and be nice to people. And sometimes it can be that simple. It really is. And you know, in the business, <laughs> I, I, you, know, you, you answer your phone, you call people back, you show up every day, and... The rest kind of falls into place. That's why you're not really focused on being number one. But because you were hailed in, in, in the outlet media as a number one sales team in Vail, what are some of the life's learnings that you would like to give to perhaps the younger generation of up and coming real estate brokers or independent business owners throughout the, the, the journey that you've been on? Surround yourself by good people. Okay. That's good a, people. Very important. Socially and professionally. Socially and professionally. You know, I, my, a buddy of mine had a really good saying. He's like, what you sit in gets on you, right? Yeah. And um, I've been very fortunate to be affiliated with the Stockton Group and my partner, Ty Stockton and Pat Barrett and Danielle. Danielle, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, surrounding yourself around people that push you, like, I never want to be the smartest guy in the room. Sure. Right? Yeah. Is it because... Popular saying. What's that? that? That's a popular saying. Yeah. For sure. If you see an opportunity to be challenged, to be in a group of people where, you know, you're, you're not the smartest one. Those are the, I think those are the opportunities you need to look for. People that are going to push you socially, um, you know, professionally, all of that. Or even, you know, becoming a better father. You look at your other friends that are fathers and see how they're yeah. doing and yeah. you, 
oh, he's a better dad than me. <laughs> yeah, you always want to be better people. Because it's, it's, it's going to always challenge you. Because you're going to hit spots in your professional, personal career where you're going to be challenged, right? It's like, should I do this or should I do that? If you could change one or two things about you, what would it be? Probably be, we were just talking about this the other day. Uh, I, I would say probably be a little more patient. Yeah, okay. Can you can be fiery on the phone and stuff. Yeah, yeah. fiery on the phone. Like, you know, let's just get it done. Let's make a decision. You are not here. the only broker on this planet with that personality. <laughs> be, be more patient and uh, probably the other one would be um, maybe listen more. Okay. I mean, that's, a, that's, everybody's, that's, that's something that everybody needs to work on for sure. Pivoting. Yeah. I think one of the coolest things about our industry not me just doing business in New York City or wherever, and all the brokers across America, we all get to meet so many different types of people from different professional backgrounds. You being in Vail, you get to meet an especially, I would say, interesting group of people throughout all internationally and domestically. You get to learn from these people too. I mean, what, tell me, who is the typical buyer? What do they do? What kind of industries are they in? And what kind of things do you learn from these people? That's a great question. Uh, so when you when I initially got into the business, um, I, I, I realized that, and, and I'm going to talk in generality. Yeah, fine. You don't have to. You don't. You know, I'm not saying call out names or anything no, like that. The, 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 I would say the the biggest percentage of buyers in our in our valley are in the financial world, corporate world. Financial, okay. Financial, corporate, business owner. Wall Street. Wall Street. Oil. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. oil, but, but more finance, finance, bigger business. Okay. And when I got into the business, I, I, I realized that and had a couple guys that I dealt with very closely that were finance guys in New York. And it, it was awesome because that, because that when I was in high school, I kind of thought that that's where I wanted to go. But there's this whole like nomenclature that comes with that world, like just the, their terminology and the way they look at things. And I learned early on, and I still use a lot of the phrases from the financial world. Okay. And that was really interesting because they, because they're, you know, they're number driven, they're fast paced, um, they're very deal focused. Very decisive. Very decisive, very deal focused. And I, and I kind of got that, I learned that mentality very early on. And I learned that kind of that financial world talk track and how those guys think and process stuff. And I still use it today because I still deal with a lot of finance guys. And I actually just used it. I, we, we closed a deal in Beaver Creek, Danielle and I, and we were went by to say hi and had a glass of wine with the with the sellers. And the the husband, they were out of Miami. The husband said, Hey, I just wanted to thank you because you told me something when we started down this process that, that really stuck with me and ended up being true. When when finance guys or those kind of corporate-minded people come in and they look at a second home, you know, a lifestyle decision. It's all very number driven, like cap rate and what kind of return. Price per square foot. Like that whole, that whole thing, which is where they go, which I get. They're fine. That's, their, that's their mind, yeah. And, and, I, and now, I haven't been down the road many times and read that book over and over and over. I, I'm able to have the conversation very honestly and candidly with, you know, you and say, look, a lot of guys come in and think that they can plug it into a box. It's got to do this, got to cash flow, it's got to blah, 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 blah. Like, it doesn't really work that way. This is a lifestyle decision. This is a choice that you're going to make. Maybe the numbers work, maybe they don't. It's not about that. 
It's about lifestyle. It's about memories. It's about having a place to come and bring your family, right? And I guarantee you, like, whatever it is here, once you're on the other side of it and you're in your house for a year, you're going to be like, I get it. I get it. Whether or not it's, you know, renting enough or doing whatever you think it needed to do in the beginning. Yeah. Once you're on the other side and you're actually living it, you're going to get it. And we went and had, as I said, a glass of wine after it closed. And he, he was sitting there and he's looking out at his gorgeous view. He's like, I just want to say thanks. Because you are absolutely right. And, he, and he's like, and I needed to hear that. And he's like, I totally get it now. And I've had that conversation time and time again. Because the finance guys think of it like that. And then, I, and I've, I've, I've just had one yesterday. Another finance guy, he's closing a place in Beaver Creek and his couple of numbers came off off this like square footage came in a little less than he thought it was and he's like I think I'm in the hole and I'm like bro you're, you're gonna be okay you're gonna be okay trust me he's like okay 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 so same type of speech and it's but but I would say to answer your question it was those those lessons that I learned early on in my career dealing with those people that are still there that I still use today and my confidence is much different than it was then. Yeah. Right. Because now I've done enough deals, and these guys are probably now, you know, my age, or maybe just. And you don't want to try to counteract uh, analytics and numbers and the price per square feet with someone that does that for a living. Right. And, and you'll never win that war with a client. No, you yeah. won't win it, and, and you have to acknowledge it, and you have to know your audience, right? Sure. You have to know what's important to them and what language they speak and, yep. and, and resonates with them. Yep. But over the years, I have learned how to, it's like, okay, yes, I get that, I get this, and confidently tell them, look, I, I've been doing this a long time. And, and that's only come with years and years. And I say, look, after 20 years, I can tell you, this is, this is my experience. And I'm, I'm, I've been more right than I am wrong. You know, I, I think it's, it's really interesting what you said that all these guys focus on the monetary, the financial monetary figures of impact of a purchase, but they don't realize that your happiness is one of your last luxuries in life with your family or the people that you're with. QTR, and, and quality time remaining. QTR. There you go. Yes, exactly. Quality time remaining. So are you going to purely base your purchase off these numbers when you're not really gauging happiness that you're going to have in life with your kids you know, on the mountain, you know, visiting, visiting a place like this or, you know, with your friends, you want to invite all, all, over, you know, all over the world to come to hang out with you or visit you. I mean, what are the impacts of that? Put a monetary value on that. You can't. You can't. And, and it, it, you know, and I have got the eye roll every once in a while. I was like, oh, okay, you're giving me the, you know, <laughs> memories of priceless. I'm like, but they are. They are. I mean, this, I mean you can. You have these buyers are so jaded, right? Yeah, I mean, you have, it's funny. But, but, but it's true. And when you get to that phase in life and you're, you know, a lot of these guys are super busy and high powered and they don't have time. They, the only way for them to really unplug is to come to their, to their happy place, right? to bail and be able to really enjoy their kids and unplug and, and enjoy the mountain and, you know, share that with their, with their family and their friends. And it, it, it takes a little bit, but they get there. And then the good news is like, Hey, we need to sell this because we need a bigger place. And, and it comes back around. That's great. Yeah, that's a happy. It's a happy. It's a hap, one of the happier calls that a broken can receive in their in their career, in their lifetime, especially in a place like Vail. Yeah, we're selling and buying. Uh, we're on it. You know, going back to that previous question, what, who are the buyers for 
Vail and, and Beaver Creek outside of finance? Are there any other industries um, that are? Yeah. I, I mentioned oil earlier. I guess oil is kind of boring because then you know, it's, no, it's no, Texas money true. and I mean, stuff like that. But do you have like I don't know first time home buyers, young buyers? Yes, do you have do. people in tech yeah. or entertainment or movie stars? I mean, who are they? We do have um, we do have some celebrities, not a ton. That the, the they they typically will trend towards Aspen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I saw Whitney Houston there. The Jenners, the Whitney yeah. Houston's of the world, yeah, right. The professionals, doctors, attorneys, that kind of thing. Um, real estate guys, you know, real estate guys love real estate in Vail. And Why do you think they choose Vail over Aspen then? Um, it's, it's a uh, price point, a little less expensive. Your dollar can go you a little bit further. Sure. Access, you know, getting to and from. Direct to Eagle is, is to me one of the best things because yeah. you can't fly direct, well, at least from New York to Aspen. Um, there is an airport in Aspen. It can be a little dodgy getting in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I know, but like, there's no direct flights from yeah, New York. Yeah. Any JFK, LaGuardia, Newark, there's no direct flights yeah, okay. to Aspen. You have to yeah. transfer to Denver or Chicago, and then if there's bad weather, then you're stuck at yeah. the transfer. Yeah, I would yeah. say access is, is a big part of Huge. What, makes, is what makes our valley um, hum. Huge. And we, and we do have, to your point, we do have a whole market of local. Of a right. local, you know, local clientele, mm -hmm. people that are here like me that have raised their kids here that are um, real estate brokers, doctors, attorneys, your sure. landscapers, your builders, your the bar owner, the restaurant yeah, owner down the street, owner, the, the the person that owns the housekeeping business, mm -hmm. the, whatever it is. I mean, we have a whole market of that. Got it for sure. Got it. Um, so it's it's not just the luxury high end. We've got you got everything and, and investors that come in and want rental property or. Uh, multi-family type of situations. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we've got the we've got the the gamut up. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, you would think. I think people that don't know Vail, they would just think it's uber luxury homes, but it's not really that. I mean, there is a local town, there is a population yeah. here. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm sure you also get a lot of younger Denver people that are no, they're successful. They want to buy their first second home, maybe yeah. or yeah. a lot of that. A lot of that, and most recently, um, you know, coming out of COVID. And you know the, the timing of it all, the COVID and the riots, unfortunately, that drove a lot of people to making um, buying decisions. The mountains that pushed that decision. Work from home. Work from home. Yeah. Made that decision um, come a little bit sooner in life. Meaning, I'll use an example. You know, you've got a young couple that lives in Denver, and like, oh, we'd like to buy something in Vail eventually, maybe one of these days. And then all of that's going on. They have the freedom to go and work wherever they want. The, the city's maybe becoming a little more turbulent at yeah. the time it was. Yeah. Well, maybe we should go look now, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. we felt that um, coming out of COVID in the summer, we felt this huge push from Denver of, you know, call it seven million yeah. buyers yeah. coming out of the woodwork. I mean, literally like- Left and right. Left and right. So much to the point, like I'm looking at my buyer and like, what are you guys drinking in Denver? Because it's like, <laughs> You guys are like, it's just every phone call is, we're from Denver. As we push through the later part of the summer into a, the summer and fall, then we have this huge push of buyers from everywhere. Miami, Charlotte, Asheville, the Bay Area, New York. LA. LA. Mm -hmm. um, the Midwest, K Kansas City, like everywhere. And those are all places of people that wanted to move here permanently. Right. Very interesting, yeah. right? I mean, I, I think more people are adopting the work from home mentality. Why? work from home in 1,000 square feet in downtown LA or, or midtown Manhattan for that reason, where you could live, you know, to 2X, 3X that out here and yeah. then work from home, as long okay. as the Wi-Fi is good, you yeah. know, that's, that's which, which, yeah, which it is. So, you know, now that we're kind of transitioning into the market talk, what was it like maybe right before um, 
April of last year, right before COVID kind of hit? Like, what, what was it like before that time? Was it, were you guys getting hit? I mean, luxury market was probably not very good, right? Well, like, so, so Q1 of 2020, yeah. like January, February, we'd come off a really good year in 2019. Okay, good. Okay. And then that was kind of um, rolling into 2020. And okay. we were just kind of humming along. And it all, I remember, happened very quickly. It was right after Burton Open. Yeah, it was right after the Burton Open. That's yeah. kind of that's kind of when the outbreak was going on, although we didn't know. Yes. And I was actually at the, that Saturday night or Friday night at the Burton Open. I was actually at Matsuhisa, and it's like a sea of people. Sea. Like we're just like elbow to elbow. You got a table though, VIP I, VIP treatment I was, over here. I was at the bar. Uh, okay, <laughs> all right. You actually got a seat at the bar though. Yeah. It's no VIP. So the uh, you, you know, unbeknownst to us, it was that was kind of uh, you know out there. And then everything, everything just kind of escalated quickly from there. And then there was a pause, right? Maybe a month or two. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. went into lockdown, and so whatever that was, mid March, and they shut the mountain down, and then it was a ghost town. So March, April, May, we pretty much were sitting on our hands, and you know, stay at home orders, and we couldn't really do anything. If there was a transaction in process, you could finish. Yeah, it. Yeah, sure, sure. Straight, but you couldn't. Did anybody back out? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. It, Okay. I'm, I'm the, so, so there was still a pulse for the local market for people that needed property. Yeah, 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 yeah. But for the stuff that was discretionary, right? Everything just kind of, I mean, all of our deals kind of just evaporated because nobody knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. A lot of uncertainty. Um, so buyers of $7 million would just forfeit their deposit and walk away? Or was no, the money wasn't hard then? No, yeah, at the, point, at the point for our deals, we just, everybody was able just to kind of walk away. Okay, you know, the good. COVID, you know, the COVID easy button. Yeah. Everybody mm-hmm. just kind of let sure. it all up. Sure, sure. Hindsight may be a bad idea, but he never knew, right? Yeah. Yeah, we didn't know at the time. But as for our team, you know, we kind of hold up and, and retooled, re-strategized, thinking about how we were going to come out of it. Did you split board up the mountain all day? And... No. <laughs> no. No, because we, so they didn't even want you on the mountain because the, the fear was if you went up on the mountain and you got hurt. There's nobody to help you. There's nobody to help you. And then they didn't want people to come into and potentially crowd Crowd up, yeah. Like, who wants a backcountry skier crowding yeah. up the ICU? And, yeah, if there's, yeah. If there's worst case big, scenario, yeah, there's this big COVID outbreak. Yeah, true. So, we just kind of laid low. Um, but our team, as we were working through COVID and our contacts from around the country, you know, we and you can probably speak to this a little bit. We had heard that there was this exodus or these people that were starting to move out of New York to the Hamptons, like, they were starting to flee like this urban flight, right, to, to safe haven. And as we started talking and kind of hearing this and reading it in the, in the news, we're like, wow, that's probably going to happen here. You know, Denver here, the drive to markets, the beach, the, the, you know, Utah and California, the, the markets where you can just flee a big city and be somewhere spectacular. Secluded in large space. Yeah. And then sure enough, that's kind of what starts. So we, we came out and we were dead. Like we were dead. Mm -hmm. We're like, are we going to sell another house again? Like what the? You guys were kind of in a in an unknown, uncharted, uncharted territory. Were you maybe a little scared? Yeah, I mean, we were definitely a little bit nervous, and we we had planned according to where our team is set up, and so it wasn't like we were, you know, felt like we were going to be destitute. But at the time, we didn't know. It felt very similar to two thousand eight, two thousand nine, where everything just kind of came apart for us, um, you know, for the valley, and we were a little late to the party there. But eventually, hit the financial crisis here. Because because we had nothing else to really equate it to. Obviously, that was a an economic issue. This was a life safe, life safety health issue. Sure. So a little bit different. But we really we had no idea. Um, 
so as we worked through it and then we came out for the summer, then as I said, Denver picked up and then it was just this huge just wave of buyers wanting to be here, like just, just like Yeah. And all of a sudden we're just like drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was unbelievable. Uh-huh. It was crazy. Do, do you do you think that trend will continue going into twenty twenty one? Um well right now we're having supply issues. Right? Meaning there's more brokers than listings? No right. <laughs> I yeah. saw that article the other yeah. day. Yeah. Well there's in a normal market we have around fifteen hundred active listings. Okay. Right. Right now we're down to three hundred. Wow. That's everything from a four hundred thousand dollar condo to a thirty million dollar house. Wow. Oh my goodness. And buyer demand is still very high. So what's that doing? It's, you know, the market's very competitive, especially in certain price points. Values are getting driven up, which is great if you're a seller. It's been a little discouraging if you're a buyer. Sure. It's just There's nothing. It's, it's tough. So I don't think that, I don't necessarily think that anything is going to change in the next, you know, for 2021, the dynamics. The, the market is tough for buyers. Um, so I think transactionally, we might be down a little bit because there's just less stuff to buy. Yeah. Um, but I think the, I think the demand is going to remain there. Interest rates are still favorable for those that are looking for debt. Um, buying power is still high and people are still wanting to be here. Sure. So I don't see much changing, um, other than just, you know, in certain price points, deals are knife fights. Right. You got, you know, Denver's the same way you can have 20 people show up. At, at an open house for a half a million dollar single fam. Yeah, yeah, that needs a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. it seems to be like it. Well, listen, I, I know you're busy here, so we're going to try to wrap up. But uh, is there uh, a couple of things that you want to say to the listeners who are uh, brokers, uh, in, who are buyers, or who are interested in this coming out here? Um, you know, do you have a message for them? Love to meet you. Yeah? Love to meet you. Yeah? Give us a call, um, you know, whether it's real estate or, or whatever. Or maybe a restaurant recommendation. Restaurant recommendation. Or maybe you can't get a reservation at Matsuhisa. Yeah, No, but just, I would say the stocking group, Tom Dunn, uh, Compass, where just use this as a resource. As, as we've gotten to Compass now, and I've reached out to uh, all of some of the top brokers from around the country, whether it's real estate, I mean, that's, that's part of it. But, you know, if you need, um, if you need anything, that's Colorado. Just, just know that we're here. Uses the resource, restaurant records, even if it's not in our valley. Like, right. Hey, I need somebody in here. I need somebody there. What do I do for this? I actually had a client text me last the other night when we were at Matsu. Yeah. He said, "Hey, I've got a friend there, and she needs a, a doctor. Who do I call?" Oh, great. You know, stuff sure. like that. And yeah. I reply right away. He's like, "Thanks." So, all things Colorado, think of us, and um, we're always here to help. Great. Great. Well, guys, I'm going to put Tom's contact again in the show notes along with his teams. Uh, so feel free to reach out to them uh, with any questions re- regarding Vail and Beaver Creek. And uh, again, all things Colorado. So maybe you have a, a, you're a broker or you're, you're a, someone that loves Colorado listening to this and wants to uh, get in touch with someone in Telluride, but you don't know. Tom's got a contact or somebody in Breckenridge. You know, Tom's got a contact. So you know, always uh, lean, lean for him for advice. Uh, when it comes to uh, the Colorado lifestyle and market. So, Tom, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure that uh, we'll be seeing each other many times in the very near future. Let's go snowboarding. All right, let's do it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk Podcast. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.